Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Visit us soon at our new State College location. This is the Blue White Breakdown, the premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Daniel Gallen and Dustin Hawkinsmith. Welcome into this edition of the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn State Health. Daniel Gallon's here. I'm Dustin Hawkinsmith. We're getting you caught up on the latest in Penn State football. We had Wednesday open practice. Heard from James Franklin and Mike Yersich. Uh, but first, Daniel, why don't we just do a little lay of the land on the recruiting front and a little bit of transfer news that occurred earlier this week? Yeah, so just to start with, with the transfer portal, which is everyone's favorite topics this time of year, Penn State wide receiver Cam Sullivan Brown is in the portal, uh, according to reports. He was not on the roster when it was updated back in January. He was one of the the fifth year guys that wasn't using that extra year of eligibility at Penn State. Um, I think there are four or five of them. Um, so he'll move on. You know, pretty modest uh, career statistics. Battled some injuries. Um, I think was well regarded uh, as a teammate by by James Franklin and and some of the other Nittany Lions. But he's someone who uh, won't be on the team next year. Is that? Uh, wide receiver room continues to look a little bit different. On the recruiting trail, uh, Bob and I talked a little bit about it earlier this week. Uh, Neo Avery, the the four-star athlete from Good Counsel outside of D.C., he decommitted on Sunday. Um, he was at the Under Armour Next Camp uh, outside of Baltimore. He's coming off an injury, so he didn't participate. That'll be one to watch. It, it kind of sounds like that. Uh, the way that recruiting is now, decommitment isn't necessarily a death sentence for your recruitment, um, depending on on the circumstances. So that'll be an interesting one to watch because I think he's the type of talent that Penn State would, I think they'd be fine <laughs> if he decides uh, in a couple months. Uh, they've already done that in the class with Matthias Mega Barnwell. And then a couple, uh, a couple list trimmings happened this week. IMG four-star Will Norman He's a defensive lineman, uh, originally from South Jersey, I believe. He got a Penn State offer when he was a freshman at Roman Catholic in Philadelphia. He put Penn State in the top seven. He's a top 100 prospect nationally in the composite. Definitely a name to know. And obviously, the defensive line is a uh, position of need for Penn State. Uh, Newman Greddy, three-star Sean Battle, put Penn State in his top five. He'll commit June 4th. And then Penridge four-star Phil Picciotti uh, put Penn State in a top 12. Penn State, I think, got in pretty early on him, and his recruitment's really blown up. Uh, he's got a pretty impressive offer list. That top 12 uh, has a lot of power programs on it. So you can read more about that and see those other schools at, at uh, on PennLive.com slash football. But that's kind of where, where Penn State stands right now with a couple interesting prospects in the class of 2023. They are three big names to know. Three guys who were legitimate, you know, top target types in this class. I love me a top 12. If I can get, if I can get a top 30 or top 20, I, I, I like that more, but uh, I love a top 12. And the older I've gotten and the more cynical I've gotten, the more uh, annoyed I get with list trimmings. Um, I get it. And I know that they, they are, they are news events, but I don't need to hear a top 12. If you're not showing me a top, three or five, I think it's okay to disregard these things. Like 
you know, it, clearly it's news. If, if Phil Picciotti doesn't include Penn State in the top 12, let's talk. But Penn State's <laughs> in the top 12. That's exactly where I expected him to be. Maybe I sound like Dave Jones on this. <laughs> I like the, I always like the disclaimer where it's, uh, this is my, my top whatever, but my recruitment is still open. I'm still listening. If, uh, you know, if, if Alabama wants to come, come call and, you know, if Georgia wants to come call and I'll, I'll listen. I mean, when I, when I was looking at colleges, my, my spreadsheet had a, uh, I think I had 34 schools on my, uh, <laughs> on my spreadsheet. So did you put out a top 34? Privately in my friend group, <laughs> um, okay. sent him a, a screenshot of a, a spreadsheet that had uh, way too much information on it. Uh, and, you know, trimmed it down to seven, had a top three, and then uh, picked uh, the wonderful institution that is the University of Maryland. I love it. That's why you and I are, are very different in that regard. I went with the path of least resistance, the known path. I went to the Pennsylvania State University. I wasn't good enough to get right into main campus, so I started at the same branch campus as my brother did. Didn't even consider anything else because I'm lazy. You had a a 34-school spreadsheet. That probably says a lot about who you are and who I am. (laughs) I ended up in the same boat as you because I wanted to go to Oregon or Mizzou, but then uh, once it came time to uh, talk checks, uh, then my parents and I, uh, you know, we, we sat down and we- A sobering chat. Yeah, we went with that that path of uh, least financial resistance, I guess. Well, and I don't I don't blame anybody for that one. So I love just on the Picciotti front, you know, that it is a good note about saying I've got this top 12, but, you know, I'm open to others. Just to re- let's hammer home the pointlessness of putting this thing out. I, I, I'm happy to expand and go out of my top 12, but but either way, good. I mean, good for him. Like if I were Phil Picciotti, I'd be doing the same thing. You know, you can get overly immersed with recruiting over the years. And so you don't pay attention to this stuff, but all right, let's look at um, practice comings and goings this week and start with the quarterback position. I label this one, Sean Clifford optimism, because I think, you know, there's a little bit of a convincing job for a large number of Penn state fans to really believe that there's more out there for Sean Clifford to achieve. And I think, you know, the line from, you know, Franklin and Yersich was basically like year two in the system, more comfort. He's seeing things faster. He's working through progressions faster. Are you subscribing to this idea that year two is going to be more well-conditioned for a breakthrough than year one was? Yeah, I, I think there's a couple different ways to read into what Mike Yersich said about Sean Clifford last night. And, you know, I think pointing out that the, the biggest progression for a six year senior, uh, is getting through progressions and being able to anticipate, which I think that that can be read and not necessarily the most charitable way. Wednesday night was only the fifth practice of the year. So I think that there's still some, some rust that needs to get shaken off and some kind of, uh, acclimating to this. But, you know, I think that talking about how Clifford is more well versed in the system and that you can actually see that it's his second year in the system. Obviously, we have to take Mike Yersich's word for it on that front. Um, but I think that that's kind of that's a positive to see. And, you know, we saw what Clifford's ceiling was or, you know, how high it was in this offense at the beginning of last year. And, you know, if he continues that instead of if he stays healthy and it's more than just half a season of that, if we get a full season of that, I think that's definitely regarded as as a step forward uh, for for this quarterback and, and for this offense. Well, I mean, let's just look at the variables for getting more out of Sean Clifford. So number one is, I think, better command of all of it. If he's a, a, if he's a half a step or a half a second faster 
this year and is in full command and isn't still in learning mode, that helps him. You know, supporting cast too, I think, is another thing to look at. I think he had guys to throw to, but you know, the inability to to really block up front, the inability to to lend a little bit of balance to the offense was harmful to him. I, I don't I, I think it's safe to say at this point that Sean Clifford isn't the guy to make up for, you know, weaknesses elsewhere in the offense. I think if you've got a good, really sturdy, solid foundation, he can help and be that guy who distributes and runs the offense pretty well. But I think the ship has kind of sailed on him being the ultimate difference maker in the offense. You know, I think it's also safe to say that, you know, physically, I don't know that Sean Clifford is really lacking. Like he's not going to be the biggest, strongest armed, fastest, but I think he's, he's acceptable at least on all those fronts. So I think, you know, maybe this split second difference, I mean, maybe it does make a difference. Maybe him staying healthy, maybe the balance. I mean, there's a lot of things and, and we'll talk about more of them going forward, but. You know, I, I get it. I, I see where, you know, some of the only areas of improvement are. And I think better grasp of the offense is is probably number one on that list, along with uh, the balance of the offense. Yeah, I think the supporting cast point is really interesting, especially when you factor in that that Jahan Dotson uh, has left. I mean, I think that Parker Washington has the potential to be a, a really, really good wide receiver. Um, obviously, that catch he had in the Outback Bowl was uh, very Dotson-esque. Uh, based what we saw the past two years. But um, I was answering some questions for a, a Green Bay Packers site about Dotson as a draft prospect. And I kind of was going through and, and highlighting different catches that Dotson made. And obviously the the one against Auburn where Chris Fowler was calling it as an overthrow as Dotson is, is pulling it in, that one stands out. But I think you look at his touchdown catch in the corner of the end zone, um, and then he had that other touchdown catch against Indiana where he really had to extend and pluck the ball up out of the air. You know, I think it'll be interesting to see kind of what kind of margin for air there is with, with the other wide receivers because Dotson gave his quarterback a, a pretty wide margin for air in terms of what he was able to do. Parker Washington has kind of teased that a little bit. Keandre Lambert Smith has done things with the ball in his hands um, and kind of as a vertical threat, but I think that'll be really interesting to watch. And then obviously I think at this point uh, Clifford staying healthy is, is basic. That's, that's understood as something that that needs to happen for this offense to really keep things going. Well, let's look at these young quarterbacks now. And I don't know if I would have expected anything different to be said about the distribution of reps. We're getting everybody as many as we possibly can. That was pretty much the company line there, but I think Mike Yersich did say something interesting just about the polish of Drew Aller and Bo Perbola, you know, how they were coached at the high school level, uh, Medina High School in Ohio for, for Drew Aller and Central York High School for, for Bo Perbola seem to have good foundations. And we heard from, you know, Chuck Lucy earlier about where they are from a physical development and said that Bo Perbola was a little ahead of Drew Aller in terms of the, the polish and training preparation, that kind of thing. But I, th- I thought it was pretty encouraging that both of these guys seem to be in a pretty good place mentally and I think they're both in a pretty good place physically too but what else can you say about how they're coming along through five practices and how they're being viewed by the coaching staff Mike Yersich and and James Franklin too are going to try to play things down the middle um, more or less I mean I think that this this is kind of uncharted territory uh, for Franklin in terms of having the uh, five-star quarterback um, and kind of trying to to see how this will all fit together 
I think that there will be kind of a concerted effort to make sure that both of these guys are being mentioned at the same time. Um, the question that Mike Yersich answered last night was specifically about a report card for Drew Aller, and then he responds with Bo and Drew. But I don't know. I mean, I think that the stuff about them coming out of those high school systems is interesting, highlighting how both those systems were different. I don't think Medina ran the ball at all, really. I mean, Aller might have been their leading rusher with like 300 yards um, by the end of the year. And then what Perula did at Central York with, with his skill set. Um, I thought that that was kind of interesting. And obviously, if, if you're the coach at uh, one of those schools, I mean, I think it, it has to feel feel pretty good to hear that. But, you know, Yersich said that he wouldn't give a full report card right now, which, I mean, isn't a surprise <laughs> after just five practices. But I think that it is good to kind of hear uh, this side of things uh, from Yersich at, at this point, um, even if it's a little boilerplate and balanced. I mean, I think saying that they're doing an excellent job, I think that can only bode well right now. And I think to piggyback off of that, you should probably expect the Penn State coaching staff to kick the can as far down the road as they can in terms of separating Drew Aller and Bo Perbola. And I would venture to, to guess that you know, by week one, you're probably seeing Christian Veyu as the primary backup to Sean Clifford, and you're going to see Drew Aller or Bo Perbola listed as that number three co guy. Um, you know, I, I would, I would imagine, and I'm just kind of guessing and speculating here, but I would imagine it's probably not until close to this time next year that we get any word on any kind of separation, as long as they can wait to not risk alienating whoever doesn't have the, that first inside step to the, to the job. I, th- I think they're going to go that route as long as possible. So get used to, in other words, questions about Drew Aller being asked, being answered with uh, Drew and Bo. Yeah. I think that when you look at, um, you know, kind of where things are going to stand by the time we get to get to, you know, week one at Purdue. I mean, I think that we've kind of talked about it before where it seems all but guaranteed that, Sean Clifford will be that number one. You know, I think that it's safe to assume they will be number two. And then, you know, I think that one of the more interesting things is going to be, all right, which freshman gets the first reps uh, against Ohio or Central Michigan um, in, in those two two games that that Penn State uh, should win. That, I think that'll probably be like the only hint um, that we get of, of any separation, kind of like you said, and, until we get to next spring. Or... The first time there are reps available, you see both of them on the field in kind of a trick formation just to, just to play this one out a little bit longer. We'll see. This is the Blue White Breakdown. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Visit us at cureleaf.com or stop in to see us at any of our locations, including our new state college dispensary located at 1248 South Atherton Street. Let's talk medical marijuana and let our confidence become yours. How about that run game? I, I, I saw, I don't know who asked the question and, and, and things like that, but Mike Yersich was a little bit curt with, uh, with the response about the run game, almost like, listen, guys. We've covered this ad nauseum, right? I think maybe it was, it was more of a forward looking question. How do you go about fixing this, this situation? But it sounds like either he was tired of answering that question, which frankly, I don't really blame him, 
or he was he was sticking to some kind of company line about we do not talk about 2021 anymore. This is all about 2022. Yeah, there's there's a bit of a backstory with that, too, where in his pre bowl availability on Zoom, Yersich was in a, the middle of a pretty lengthy answer about the Illinois game um, and kind of the, the running game in general. I think back in back in December um, and the Zoom cut off uh, in the middle of the answer. You know, obviously, the the way that Zoom works is that it's kind of like that. That's kind of it. Um, and so then he was asked the next week at the bowl game, you know, kind of if he could finish that answer. Um, and he declined then and said that, you know, it was time to, to look forward to this game, you know, spin that forward to now. This is the first time we've we've talked to him since then. So I think that it was kind of one more bite at the apple to try to get get something from from Yersich on that. But there's been some allusions here and there to kind of not talking about certain things about last year, looking forward. And I think that's fine. I mean, that that's their prerogative to do it. But it is the thing, though, where those questions are going to come. I mean, in all the mailbags on social media, there's a lot of questions about the running game. Um, I think James Franklin has done a, a pretty good job um, of kind of handling it this offseason in terms of not really letting the blame fall on one particular position group because it would be really easy just to like blame the offensive line um, or the running backs. Um, but he kind of folds the tight ends into it. Um, and so I think that it's kind of, it's an interesting dance uh, that you kind of have to play, you know, I mean, obviously you'd want a, a little bit of a more in-depth answer than, you know, how's the running game going to be better? Well, we're going to do it better, but that's kind of where we are. It's March. We'll, we'll see in September. Um, kind of how how this actually looks outside of and and the coaching answer to it because it is it's not false but to say every part of the offense needs to perform better is a is a nice diplomatic way of saying our players weren't good enough at those positions last year our coach our and and I think our coaching wasn't good enough at those positions last year you know that that's the that's the how I would extract what what they're saying about this and now along those lines I do think you know the running backs. They weren't good enough to to create things when plays weren't really there. You know, I think you have some running backs. If you don't have optimal blocking, they can still create a play anyway. I don't know if last year's cast of characters was that group. So I, I do think the additions of Nick Singleton for sure, but I think there seems to be legitimate pleasure with how Katron Allen looks so far in spring. Yeah, I think that the one thing that came up with, with Katron Allen is his experience at IMG Academy, um, which so he's basically been playing college football for the past two years uh, in terms of uh, his development. You know, he was in a backfield share both years. He kind of knows how things how things are going to work. So I think that he's come in and I think adjusted well to the to the lifestyle part of things. That's sort of reading between the lines with what uh, James Franklin has, has said. Um, and then you look at Singleton and I think Singleton has adjusted well, just physically, you know, we, we all kind of knew what he was, what kind of athlete he was. And I think to kind of actually see him, uh, it really stands out. Uh, the one thing that's kind of interesting is that I think Allen during the recruiting process was regarded as a little bit more of the, the big bodied kind of a bully, um, short yard, maybe pigeonholed unfairly as a short yardage guy. Obviously all running backs think that they can do more than that, but you look at the roster and Allen's listed at 5'11", 216. Singleton's listed at 6'2", 19. Keziah Holmes, uh, who was, who redshirted last year is at, is also at 5'11", 216. 
and he looks pretty large, pretty imposing. And then obviously Kevon Lee is, uh, <laughs> has been a big guy his, his whole time at Penn state. Um, so it, it's some interesting body types. And I think that I'm kind of excited to see what Katron Allen can, can do in the field a little bit more um, beyond kind of the, the assumptions that we have about him and, and kind of how he actually fits into this offense. And it's an interesting point about body types and style. You know, I think Nick Singleton is a do everything back power, speed, quickness, inside, outside. And I think that's why people are so excited about him. I think Katron Allen, what we've seen from him anyway, and I don't know whether he's got more to stretch that persona, but he's comfortable running in between the tackles, running in tight spaces, pushing forward for yardage. And it's, it's more like his style and film than it is necessarily his size. You know, he plays maybe bigger than his size. Where I think um, Kevon Lee, you know, my complaint with him would be that he plays smaller than his size. He runs like a small guy and not like a big guy. And so it's like, okay, the the size and the weights, they matter. But it's also, you know, more of a style thing with all these guys and how you mix and match. And then you throw in Devin Ford, too, who's down 10 pounds and what he brings to the table. I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see how they how they mix and match the styles, the abilities and the experience levels in this backfield um, to get the most out of it. And I think at, at least Nick Singleton should be a, a huge factor early, but I'm curious to see if maybe Katron Allen, because he's probably better at that inside running than I would guess anybody else on the depth chart. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how how the the reps get managed. I know that um, you know when talking about the quarterbacks, Mike Yersich said that they're going to, try to keep everything even um, obviously running back. It, it's a little bit different because there's more of them, but at the same time you can rotate guys through a little bit more. And we saw last year that they went into the year with, with five running backs who had experience or who could play one of those uh, Kaziah Holmes ended up redshirting. Uh, and then between the other four, you would really only see three um, over the course of, the, of a game. And, you know, maybe two sometimes uh, depending on, on health stuff. So I think it is going to be interesting to see, you know, how this actually looks in practice. You know, I think last year they said that they weren't worried about having too many mouths to feed or, or anything like that. And I assume that that we'll hear a similar line this year, but it'll be really interesting to see what it actually looks like in practice. Let's touch quickly on the two names of young guys who seem to keep coming up. Uh, Zachy Wheatley making the, um, Zaki Wheatley, I'm sorry, making the, the, the transition from cornerback to safety. They can't seem to say enough positive things about him. And the indication seems to be, okay, he's not taking a long time to make this transition. He'll be, he'll be making a short transition and we should probably expect to see him. And then the other one is Zane Durant, the true freshman you mentioned earlier, polished, mature, explosive, powerful. He's not the biggest defensive tackle, but James Franklin seems to indicate if things keep going the way they're going with him, we could probably see him in that rotation as a true freshman defensive tackle, which I don't remember the last time we saw a true freshman defensive tackle. PJ Mustafer, I think, is the only one I can think of. Yeah, and Franklin pointed it out last night where he said that this, is, this isn't a position when a kid comes in, you expect him to be able to, to contribute right away. And I don't even really think with an early enrollee, I think you would normally expect to maybe have this conversation in August when... He's had the full off-season program. He's had all spring. He had the summer, and he can finally kind of change his body to to be at at this high level. It is interesting to to kind of see how Zane Durant is seen. Obviously, it's it's hard to get a real 
I, I guess a real bead on what the depth chart might be or the pecking order, um, just from, from some of these practices where it's a lot of individual drills that we get to see. But it is interesting, especially when, with PJ Mustafer coming back from the injury, you know, they're going to need someone to be able to, to step up behind Keziah Izzard and Devon Ellis. Um, I'd also note that Izzard is someone whose name came up at least once, maybe twice, uh, after pro day in talking to, to players about kind of who's up next, uh, on, on the defense. So, um, Durant is definitely someone who is going to be, I think, fun to follow, um, to kind of see, you know, the, the bars being set high for him and we just have to see if he can reach it. And then Wheatley, that's probably one of the more underrated stories, um, of the spring, maybe the safety room obviously lost Jaquan Brisker to the NFL. And then you had Tyler Rudolph and Enzo Jennings both transfer out. So there was not much depth there at all. Obviously, you have the, the freshmen coming in, but none of them are, are, are early enrollees. Uh, Makai Flowers, Christian Driver, Kevin Winston Jr., and then the Juco, Tyrese Mills. So I think moving Wheatley over is big kid. Um, and I think that it'll be interesting to see kind of what that looks like on the field. And um, with Keaton Ellis and Jalen Reed there, I think that that'll be a, a fun competition to see who is going to, uh, you know, who's going to try to make that next step next to Jair Brown. But James Franklin said that they have four safeties right now. He wants to have five. He'd like to have six. And I think with the guys they have coming in, I, I think he has a good shot of getting to six with Tyrese Mills, I think, being the front runner to be the fifth, given his experience. And then one of the other three um, having the chance to jump up. So the secondary is always interesting because theoretically it's easier to move the pieces around a little bit and you can kind of just have a bunch of guys and, and see what works, see what combination works, see, you know, what brings out the best, best in someone. So I think that'll be something pretty entertaining and, and fun to watch. Always a fine line between not enough depth and too much depth <laughs> in, in those spots. Um, but I, I think in a pinch, I'd feel pretty confident that any one of the four new arrivals could play as uh, in 2022. Tyrese Mills, as you mentioned, prime candidate to do so with that Juco experience looks physically like he, he's capable of doing it, wants to be physical. And anytime you have that, uh, it's good. KJ Winston, you know, is, is the most true safety of, of the three high school kids who's played the most there looks pretty polished and uh, things like that. Christian driver is the son of Donald driver, uh, really instinctive players seem to know the game from all angles inside and out. Makai Flowers, the most explosive athlete of that group. You know, you, I, I think you could feel confident putting him out there and, and feel like he can make some plays for you. So, it, you know, I, I think it's going to skew young. You're going to lean more on a guy like Wheatley than, than maybe you thought you were going to when you decided to, to make that transition. But all in all, I think, you know, especially since you took Jonathan Sutherland presumably out of that mix too. All in all, I, I don't I don't hate the depth there at, at safety. I know there are some unknowns and some uncertainty, but um, I think they've got players there. Yeah, I think that moving Sutherland down to down to that linebacker spot, you you remove the experience, but I think that given what we'd kind of seen of him physically and kind of how Penn State uses that uh, that third linebacker spot, I think that that was definitely a good move, and I also think is a good move in the terms of. You have more kind of young players uh, at safety than you do at linebacker. So I wouldn't say that Sutherland is necessarily like blocking someone at linebacker. Whereas at safety, you know, you can get these younger guys like Reed, like Wheatley, like one of these freshmen. You, you can get them onto the field and, and kind of see what they can do. 
There you go. That's Daniel Gallen. I'm Dustin Hawkinsmith recapping Wednesday practice and the latest in recruiting on this edition of the Blue White Breakdown. Be sure you follow Daniel on Twitter at Daniel JT Gallen for all the latest comings and goings, whether that's recruiting or practice or the latest development in the transfer portal. And we'll also have all of that information at penlive.com slash Penn State football. And as you know, we're recording Blue White Breakdown podcast basically every single day. Those are on Alexa, Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and YouTube. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Blue White Breakdown, and we will see you next time. This has been the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. Live.